Well, good morning. Great to see you guys. Uh, my name is Ed Travers. I'm the teaching pastor here at LifePoint in Westville. If I haven't met you yet, if you're new to LifePoint, I uh, just want to welcome you. Let me give you one thing that would be helpful, I think, to you and to us, is if you are a guest or this is new to you, pull out your phone, turn on your camera, and go to the QR code on a chair in front of you, or just type in LPGuest. Dot com. That'll take you to a landing page, and that's our online connect card. All the information you want to know about our church, you can find there. Upcoming events, uh, there's sermon notes that you can follow along as I'm talking. You can actually take notes yourself, turn those into yourself. You can email them. You can invite a friend. There's also the guest information button. Click that button, fill out a little bit of information, let us know how you heard about LifePoint. Scroll down, and at the bottom, there are five different ministries we support from all of our campuses. If you click one of those boxes, we'll do an extra $5 donation to that ministry just to say thanks for coming today and a great way to connect with all of our guests to do something good this week. Um, Also, I've been saying this all through the month of December. If you haven't downloaded our app, you should do that. So go to your uh, app store and look for LifePoint Ohio, and it's got the little blue starburst, and download that to your phone. Uh, it's going to be important. We're going to do something with that this, uh, this next month. So I want you to get that uh, and click the Westerville button when you open up the app. So please do that. It's going to be really good. We are going to be uh, reading through 1 Thessalonians during this series, and uh, so you will want to follow along in the app notes. So it's going to be really good. So for you guys who have come in today and you've been part of LifePoint, uh, happy anniversary to you. Uh, LifePoint has been here in Westville for five years now. This is our anniversary weekend, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the way that you serve and give and uh, have been a part of it. Uh, I want to tell you that um, uh, back in 2017, there was a team forming together at the Lewis Center campus that were kind of pulling together uh, to get something started, to plant a campus here in Westerville. And I remember, uh, there's a picture of this, uh, I went with my buddy Jeff Westlake uh, to the school at Heritage Middle School, and someone snapped this picture and sent it to me, this is Jeff and I, and I'm trying to talk uh, the principal, Drew Tomlin, into letting us meet there. And I was pitching him everything I knew to pitch. I mean, I'm just praying, God, turn this guy's mind to make him okay with us meeting in the school. And that became our future home. Uh, around that same time, uh, in fall of 2018, we had a get-together, an interest meeting after a service at Lewis Center, and we caught a picture of that. And uh, there's some, some familiar faces right there up front. And I'm like, we didn't know that anyone was going to come. I knew there was a team of people, some families that were committed to serving and doing this. We had no idea that God was going to bring people, and he sure enough did. And so those people kind of banded together, and we got everything we needed, and and we worked really hard, and we launched our first service in Heritage Middle School in January of 2018. We were red back then. Um, I'll never forget that day, because it's one thing to say, all right, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. We've just got a few people on the team. I mean, are you going to do it or not? And then we launched, and people were coming from all over the community to come to be part of that campus. And it was super fun. That season of our, of our church was super fun because God just kept bringing people, and people started giving their life to Christ. We started having baptisms. It just was a super fun time. And one of my favorite things was that God brought a lot of students together. And we had a great student ministry. This is a picture of them after their color war. And uh, that was a super awesome time. A reminder that our student groups start next week. So if you're a student, you want to be part of something really cool, you should go to our student groups. Um, but Looking back on the five years, that was a really sweet time. I think our next picture here uh, is, a, is a picture. What, wait, hold up. On it. Well, there we go. Um, I, when we met there at Heritage for a couple years, 
What happened was that the pandemic hit and we got kicked out of the school and we had nowhere to meet. So we were renting space from another church on the north end of Westerville called Northside Christian. And they kind of wanted us out, you know, because we were invading their space. Uh, and, you know, they were gracious to us, but we didn't have anywhere to go. And so we were just begging God, you got to find something. And in this church building came available. And when I came in to see it the first time, I remember thinking, that red carpet is awesome. <laughs> like, we, we could keep that, right? Um, but we, we had a lot of people that came together to help paint and lift things and take out trash. And, and I mean, it was just so much work, but they made a beautiful place. And I think one of the highlights for me in the last five years was this moment right here. This was uh, Stephen and Gail Massey. We did right here. The first time we ever did a wedding at our own church like our own building. All that time, we were renting space, and we finally had the opportunity to do something here. It was so awesome. You know, for, for those of you who've been with us all the way from back then, you know this, that this really came about because there were a few families who were praying for it. Just a few families that God had brought together who were praying and hoping that God might do something. I want you to think about that. A few families who are trying to follow God and praying and fasting and hoping, God, will you do something? I bring it up because we're in a new series we're calling Not Without Hope. In this series, what we're looking at is how Jesus is the source of enduring, enduring hope. Hope is a very unique thing. What we're going to look at, this church of the Thessalonians, they had that enduring hope in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk about that during this series. But this church of the Thessalonians, let me give you a little bit of background. Paul the Apostle, who, who used to be a person who persecuted Christians, was on his way to Damascus to, to round up Christians and put them in jail. And Jesus Christ appeared to him, blinded him, and spoke to him. And then he became a believer. And so he wanted everyone to know who Jesus Christ was. And he you know, went on these missionary trips, and he took some, a team of people, Timothy and Silas and Luke, and, and they went to Macedonia, to this town, this, this city of Thessalonica, that was a really big city at that time. Like as many as 200,000 people, which was huge for that time. It was on a really well-traveled road. And because of that, because they were there, there, were, uh, there was a synagogue there because there were some Jewish people who lived in the area. And Paul came in and taught on three consecutive days, three consecutive weekends, uh, where he taught from the Old Testament scriptures how they point to Jesus. And some of the Jewish people became believers. But a lot of Greek people did. People who were worshiping other gods, Zeus and, and all the you know, mythological gods that they had worshiped in, in Greek culture. And they became believers and this church was founded. But what happened was a persecution broke out. And the persecution came and Paul and his friends' lives were in jeopardy and they got sent out of the city. So Paul waited till things died down thinking, what's going to happen to these people? A little tiny church formed around A.D. 50. And, and Paul was hoping, wait, did this persecution drown them out? Or are they still going? So he waited till things died down. He sent Timothy back to the city. And Timothy came back with an incredible report of the enduring hope that Jesus had put in their hearts. And this letter that Paul wrote is really kind of to encourage them and say, hey, I see you. I see what God's doing in you. It's a great letter. That's what we're going to look at this next five weeks. But here's the thing. Hope is a very unique and powerful emotion. It's a very unique and powerful thing in our lives. And everyone here has hopes. Like, think about it. You, you go to school hoping that one day you graduate and, and do something with your life. You, you hope to find that person that, you know, you're going to fall in love with. You hope maybe to have a family. You hope for all these different things. But hope can also be thwarted. 
right? I have hopes that one day officials would understand what targeting looks like in the back of an end zone with a wide receiver. (laughs) Someday that could happen, right? Um, Here's the thing. Life changes and our hopes change because we change. And think about it. If you think about the hopes you had 15 years ago, the things that you hoped in even 10 years ago or five years ago, when we launched LifePoint Westworld, I was just hoping people would show up. Hopes change because life changes. And here's the other thing. Circumstances become difficult in our lives at different seasons of our life, and that changes the way we hope too. And we need a hope that's going to be more powerful than just hoping for an official, right? We need a powerful hope that's going to help us through all the changes and circumstances in life. We need something larger. We need a hope in Jesus Christ. That's what we are going to look at in this series. And what I'm praying for us is that God would teach us about hope in a different way that would, would sustain our lives. So let's take a second. Before we dig into the series, let's take a second to pray. You pray that God will speak to you, and I'll pray for all of us. Father, uh, we are so grateful to get a chance to come back together this morning and, and to worship you. Uh, we recognize what you've done in the last five years. We recognize that you have been faithful. Um, God, I pray that you would continue your work through your Holy Spirit and through your word, even right now. And we ask that in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, open up to 1 Thessalonians. You can follow along uh, in the sermon notes. There'll be some scriptures on the screen. But the first thing I want to say, if we're going to get that kind of hope, is we need to know this, is that the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. Here's what Paul wrote uh, in 1 Thessalonians. He starts out saying, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So when I say the gospel changes everything, let me walk you through this first set of verses and kind of see it uh, kind of through, a diff- you know, through, through my lens for a second. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. That Silvanus is actually another name for Silas. So you've probably heard his name in other parts of scripture. He, they're writing to this church and saying grace to you and peace. Now that is a typical greeting, but you need to understand, you don't get grace and peace without the gospel. Because the gospel is a message of grace. It is literally God's unmerited favor to you that who do not deserve it. You get grace in the gospel. And because of grace, you get peace with God. So when he's saying that, he's talking to believers who understand the gospel. Grace to you. And they're like, yes, amen. Peace to you. Yes, peace between you and the Father. That's what he's saying. And we give thanks always because here's the report we got back. We were worried that maybe the persecution had had stamped you out. And when you lost a few brothers or sisters to this mob, you know, maybe you were going to quit with your faith. But that's not what we heard. Here's what we heard. We remember for our God and Father, your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. You know, when you become a Christian, you naturally want to like pay God back somehow. Right? When you, when you feel forgiveness in your soul, you're like, I, I want to I do something good for God. That's, that's kind of your good works. And that's what he's saying here. I see you. I see your work. I see your love and I see your hope. Do you know, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, and maybe you've, you've heard this at weddings. That's a very famous passage about love. And he talks, love is this and love is this and love is this. And in the end, he said, there are three things that last. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. 
Here's what he's saying to them. All the things I see in you are incredible, what God's doing in your church. How did this people group, who were a pagan people group, mixed in with some Jewish people, the Jewish people were super religious. They knew that if they kept all the laws and did all the right things and obeyed all the commandments, then God would would be close to them and they would feel righteous. Those people had it wrong. We can never be righteous in and of ourselves. Then they were mixed with all these other people who had all these gods. They were like, whatever God seems to fit us in the moment, we'll, we'll worship whatever. How did those people become these people? Well, verse 4, for we know, brothers, that love by God, that he has chosen you. That means God came after them. He chose to pursue them. And verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power. And in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. What happened to them was the gospel. The gospel came to them in word. And you need to hear the truth of the word of the gospel. And when you do that, when the right heart matches to the right information of the gospel. And the spirit of God is present. When someone is receptive, the conviction and power of the Holy Spirit transforms them completely. And let me, let me say this. Because I think if you're here and you're like me, you've been around the church for a long time, the word gospel can sometimes become wallpaper and we forget the power of it all. And here's what Paul would say. It is the power of God unto salvation. Like there is no other way. It's the gospel. And for if you came in today and you're like, I don't know that I'm right with God. I don't know that my relationship with God is what it's supposed to be. You need to understand the gospel. So whether you're like me or whether, you know, maybe you're a little bit further back on the journey to know God, you need to know the gospel. Let me explain it to you very clearly as best I can. The gospel means good news. It is a rescue mission of God. Here's the problem, and this is the bad news. God is absolutely holy and perfect, but we're not. And we know that. Deep down, we know it. That's called sin. We put our hand in God's face and say, I know you want to be our God, and I know you want us to be your people, but I'm doing it my way. And then we live our lives our way, and that sin breaks our relationship with God. Here's why. Because God is holy and perfect and eternal, and heaven is eternal, he can't bring us into that relationship in heaven one day because that would make sin be part of heaven eternally. He's not doing that. On top of that, God isn't happy with sin, and so there's going to be a justice for everything that we've done. And then you and I are sitting here going, well, how do we make up for it? Like, let's say you, your New Year's resolution today was, I'm never going to sin again. And you could pull it off. Caleb is completely wrong. Like, you could pull it off. You're the one. You're never going to sin again, all right? If you're that person and you pulled it off and you worked it out, what would you do with the sin you've already committed? Because you can't fix that. Here's the problem. We're hopeless, There is no hope that you and I or any other human being could ever walk in righteousness with God. We can't be in right standing with him because sin taints and breaks our relationship. And look, you might have a lot of sin or a little sin. It doesn't matter. Sin is sin. So we're hopeless. So what does God do? Because he loves us, he sends his son to die on a cross to fulfill the justice of God. So he doesn't sweep it under the carpet. He sends his own son down to die on a cross to pay the penalty for all of our sin one time, once and for all. The justice of God prevailed. And the grace and mercy of God prevails as Jesus Christ rises from the grave. And anyone, anyone who comes to him in faith because he took the penalty 
we come to him in faith, he gives us his righteousness. He takes our penalty, our death, and he gives us his righteousness, meaning his blood was, comes and washes over our sin. Don't you see? Like, if you're far from God, you need to turn to God and receive his grace and mercy so that you can have peace with God. But you and I, who are believers in this room, and that's most of us, we need the gospel all the time. We need that truth in our life, in our heart, because it changes everything about us. It changes our marriages. It changes the way we relate to other people. It changes, you know, how we deal with, with people who have hurt us. It changes everything. Paul was so convinced of this. Let me, let me read this to you. If you think about how did God pursue a bunch of people in Thessalonica, mostly pagans and Jews who were trying to be self-righteous. Well, how did God pursue them? If you go back to Acts chapter 16, here's what's happening. Verse 9, Paul says, and a vision appeared to Paul. So think of this like a really weird, deep dream. A vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, I want you to think about this. If you got a call for help from somebody, wouldn't you want to know what they need help with? Like, okay, well, you need help. What do you need help with? Uh, what, what's the deal? Do you guys need food? Do you guys, are you under persecution? Or do you guys need, uh, need some army people? Like, what do you need? Paul immediately takes this vision and goes, obviously, they need the gospel. Do you know why? Because even though it's a good thing to help people who need food or need jobs or need protection. Those are all great things. Let me tell you something. The only thing that will sustain lasting eternal change is the gospel. That's it. Let me, let, me, um, let me say one of the most beautiful things I've seen in the five years we've been in Westerville. Um, the, the first year, God brought a young lady to help us launch the campus. And her name is Asanta. This is a picture of Asanta and my daughter, Abby. And I love that picture for a couple of reasons. One is it reminds me of the beginning uh, that God brought people who I never expected to be part of our launch team. And Vasantha had been overseas for two years in a country, in an Islamic country, uh, the largest Islamic city in the world, uh, really no presence of the gospel. And she spent two years there on a missionary trip and helped plant a church where one person became a believer in their city. One person. So she was done with her two-year commitment. She came back home, and for that short season, she was here, and she helped us launch the campus. Now, while she was here, she helped serve uh, back in, with our students, and, and she really loved on my daughters and, and had an influence on them. So for me, that's a great memory, just to know that she loved on my girls. And, uh, but it also I just remember that season. Well, she ended up leaving fairly soon, and she was the first person we commissioned out of Westerville to go out and be on mission. And so for the next four years, she went back to that same city, and now they have 20 people in that church. People in an Islamic country who have no hope of the gospel. Now there's 20 believers in that church. Isn't that incredible? So now she's done her four-year commitment. And now she's back and she's finishing up seminary. And she's getting ready to go for her career back to the same spot. And so she has to finish up some stuff. And she was home for a little bit during, you know, the Christmas break. And we got to have her over for dinner. And the girls were kind of loving on her. It was just a great time. And, and obviously I can see she's committed to the gospel. Like she's living her life on mission that the gospel would penetrate, uh, you know, a dark place, right? I know all that about her. But I said, V, you know what I don't know about you? I don't know how it got you. Like, what happened? What was your story? And I found out her story. You know, she grew up 
uh, her parents went to church on Christmas and Easter. So they wanted to respect, you know, the gods of America and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, th- but she said, to me, I was bored to death. I never paid attention at all. So I'm like, I, I get that. I was bored too when I was a kid. Well, she didn't really believe in God and she had some stuff going on in her family that wasn't good. And, you know, so she had a lot of hard stuff in her life. And, and honestly, she felt like she didn't really fit in well. Um, and she became very lonely. And here's what she concluded as a teenager. If God is real, he doesn't care about us. So I don't care about him. So she just rejected God. Like, I don't, I don't want anything to do with him. And she lived her life that way all through her high school years. She goes off to college her first year, and she's down there, and she thought, you know what? I'm going to make friends. I'm going to have experiences. Uh, if someone asks me to do something, I'm just going to say yes. That way I can build friendships and relationships. That's what I'm going to do. And so that's what she did. First year of college, she just said yes to all kinds of things, and that led her to all kinds of stuff that she would say was a typical college experience for people who don't know God. And that's where she went. But it didn't solve the ache in her soul. She found herself at the end of her first year more depressed and more lonely than she'd ever been feeling very hopeless. Well, her sister had become a Christian, and her sister started going to the college and immediately found a church, and some of her church people started reaching out to V. And um, here's what happened. They were going on a mission trip to a church plant in Wisconsin, and they asked V, the Santa, to go with them. And she said yes, just because she wanted some experiences, didn't want to sit by herself. Like, who takes a non-Christian on a Christian mission trip? They do. Anyway, here's what happened. While they're there, all these people keep sharing the gospel over and over and over and over again. And V's listening to all of them. And then they have so much time together. They're all telling V how God changed them over and over and over again. And so she has to hear the gospel over and over. They said, V, what do you think? She's like, oh, that's, that's good for you. I don't, I don't believe. So they started talking about these different missionaries who actually gave up their lives for the gospel. And here's what V concluded. Look, I don't believe But if I did believe, that's the kind of faith I'd want to have. So she prayed. She didn't even know who she was praying to. She just prayed and said, God, if you're really there, if it's real, then I would like to have a faith like those people have faith. And that's it. She didn't even know. They all get back home and, you know, life goes on. Those church people just started loving on her and pursuing her. Never let her have a free moment. Hang out with us, hang out with us, hang out with us. They started dragging her to church. And you know what? The word of God just kept getting presented over and over again and the love of Christ. And one day it sunk into her heart. She goes, and the gospel changed my life. You can't live out the gospel unless the gospel has infiltrated your heart. But she understands, she gets it, it changes everything. So of course she wants to live on behalf of the gospel. Here's the other thing. If we're gonna have hope, you need to understand that God has given us examples to follow. If we really want to know what it's like, understand God has given us examples to follow. Here's what he says, verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. So he's writing this letter and thinking, you know, do I have to correct them? You know, did they fall? Did their faith fall apart when they suffered persecution? You know, did they become worldly? He's like, we don't have to say any of that. Do you know what we saw in you guys? Your faith is now an example to all the surrounding cities, Macedonia, Achaia, and all the area. Why? Because they became imitators of Paul and his team who were imitators of Christ. And then their faith became an example to everyone else around them. That's how this works. Jesus' plan isn't for him to walk around 
and meet every human being over every generation. That's not what he's doing. His example is that he lived a life, died the death that we deserve, and rose from the grave. He lived it perfectly, and then he sent his Holy Spirit into the world. And as believers receive the Holy Spirit, they become examples to others. And isn't it true, if you're in the room and you say, man, I'm a, I'm a believer. Isn't it true, it wasn't someone like me that transformed your life. It wasn't some preacher just preaching at you the word of truth. That was a tool. But isn't it true that you saw somebody? You knew somebody that was different. Someone who had faith. Someone who loved the Lord. Someone who was inviting you or praying for you. And they may not have been perfect, of course. But isn't it true that you saw someone? Because God gives us examples. That's his plan. I bring it up for two reasons. Number one, if you don't have examples in your life, if you feel like, I don't have examples. Let me tell you something. I've been here five years. There are examples of incredible people all over LifePoint. And a way you can connect to them very easily, you're like, well, how do I meet everyone? Go to a life group. You have these little books. And on the 15th, next Sunday, is our life group launch. All the life groups are contained in there. If you're not connected, go to a life group. Do you know why? Because there are people in the life groups who have been through life, who are struggling just like you, but they have hope. They've learned to hope in Christ at different seasons of different circumstances of their life. They are going to be good examples for you, and you need that in your life. So if you're not connected, if you need an example, find the community. Get connected. And here's the other thing, and I speak directly. Like, if you came in here today and you're like, I'm not sure I know Christ. I am not talking to you. Let's just cut out for a minute. I am talking to people like me who look in the mirror and say, I know Jesus. There's a significant step in your journey of faith. It starts out like this. You hear about God, you believe it's true, and somehow you realize I'm a sinner and Christ died for me. And then when that hits you, you're like, he died for me. When that hits you, you're like, he wants to forgive me of sins, he loves me. Then you're like, okay, what do you want from me? I need you to repent, I need you to turn to me. And, and, and when you do that, here's what happens. The Holy Spirit comes in you and things just start happening. Like the fruit of the Spirit in you, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. You start thinking about people differently, and you feel things for them you never felt before. You start caring. You start saying no to things in your life that you never would have said no to before. Like God changes you. And here's what you do. You go to a church. You go to a life group. You start serving, and you hear the word of God. You're like, oh my gosh, God is talking to me through the word. And it, your experience is all self-focused. It is that moment where like God's transforming me. Those songs that they were singing up there, God is speaking to my heart through them. It's all self-focused. Why? Because that's how children are. They don't understand yet. They're not ready to be an example yet. They take it in. But there is a significant step in your journey of faith where you have to realize, and it comes differently at different times for everyone, but there's a moment where you go, okay, they matter, whoever they are. Friends, family, coworkers, classmates, you know, whatever it is, they matter. And the way I live is going to be a representation of Christ to them. So why should I forgive that person who doesn't deserve it? Why should I do that? Because if I forgive them, then that will be a representation of how Christ chose to forgive me even when I didn't deserve it. <sighs> okay, I need to do that. Why should I be in relationship with someone, like continue to be in this relationship with this person who is annoying me? Why should I deal with this? Why should I, you know, uh, become humble? Why do I not have to become right all the time? 
Well, Christ gave up his rights. Remember that? He didn't even consider equality with, his, with God, with his rights, something to be grasped. He let go of all that. Why should I do that? Because I need to be an example to other people. And let me tell you something. That step in the journey, when you realize, okay, they matter. It's not about my rights. That is where you become a powerful example of Christ. And that's how the gospel transforms communities. And I have to ask you, how are you doing with that? Because it's not an age thing. It's not like, oh, you just naturally become more wise in Christ. No, you naturally become more obedient in Christ, and he transforms you. That's his work in you. And there's a significant step where you go, you know what? It's not about me. Have you embraced that part of your life? And how are you doing with it? Because it's hard. It's real easy for me to read scripture and go, man, look what he's saying to me. It's really hard for me to actually obey it and say, I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to lay down my life for others. That's hard. How are you doing with that? God wants you to be an example, and he wants you to embrace your role. The, the last thing is, well, how are we going to get hope then? Okay, I get it. The gospel changes everything. I put my hope in Christ through the gospel. I realize he wants to use me, and he's put other people around me to follow. Here's the last one. You, have, you need to understand that Jesus has a plan. You have to know this in the bottom of your heart. He has a plan. Because here's the deal. Circumstances are coming. Circumstances change. Life changes. And in those changes, the only way to really have hope is you need to know that God has a plan for all of this stuff. Here's what Paul wrote, verse 9, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. These people once were pagan and now they serve God with their life. Verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Here's what the people of Thessalonica were doing. They were living out their faith while waiting on Christ to come to keep them from the wrath that is coming. Okay, what's that all about? Well, we're going to talk more about that in this series. We're going to talk about the plan of God in detail uh, later on in the series. But here's what he's saying to them. There is a plan that God is going to restore all things. Jesus is going to return. And he is going to right all the wrongs. He's going to change the way our whole world operates one day. And, okay, well, how do you wait on that to happen? Because he never told you when it's going to happen. In fact, Jesus said, I'm not telling you the day or the hour. Only the Father knows that, and I'm not going to tell you that. And even if I could tell you, I'm not going to tell you that. Do you know why? You're like, we're like these servants. And if we knew the boss wasn't coming back, we would probably loaf off. So he's saying, no. I want you to wait. Now, what does it mean to wait? Because, I mean, do I just sit around and like, you know, is it coming? No, that word wait, I was reminded of this uh, yesterday from a friend of mine. The word wait, actually, the Hebrew word is actually an act of participation in full trust in Christ and his plan. It's active faith, trusting that God has a plan. So what's the circumstance in my life? God has a plan for that circumstance. What's the situation in my life? God has a plan for that. What's my future? God has a plan for that. So how do I live out my faith? I live out my faith actively following Christ in all of those circumstances. Do I want him to return? Yes. I would really love it if he would return tonight. Honestly, I would like to see the Buckeyes get one more shot. <laughs> like that would be great, right? <laughs> But I'd like him to return. Think about it. Imagine Christ returning now and righting all the wrongs. He takes care of all the evil in the world. Like he sets all governments under his authority. He's the judge and ruler. Who wouldn't want that? He's the best at what he does, right? And he's completely honest and humble and pure. Like 
We want that. Here's the problem. If he comes back now, what happens to the people who have not received him in faith? They do not have an opportunity to repent and come to Christ. And let me tell you something. I have people in my life who have not done that yet. I have neighbors, friends, family members who have not done that. There are people in this room who have not done that yet. And if he comes now, they don't have another shot. I'm not okay with that. I don't think Christ is okay with that. That's a problem because part of me wants him to come now because come on, I want you to come. Like come for me. Like I'm ready. Like I want you. And yet please wait. Do you see how it works? But I trust he has a plan. And if he chooses to wait, even not in my lifetime, I'm okay with that because he has a plan. If he comes back tonight, that's fine. It's his plan. If he brings circumstance in my life, it's fine. It's his plan. These people chose to put their hope in Christ and wait on him knowing it was his plan and let him, let him play it out. One of the things I, I think is beautiful about our church is watching people actively wait on the Lord with their faith. And it's hard to quantify. Like, how do you quantify what God has done in five years? Um, you know, like marriages that have been restored. People's life who've given up addiction. Like, does that, do we count that like on a spreadsheet? Um, what about young kids who came to faith here? Um, that's, like, how do you quantify that, you know? One thing we, we can count that is interesting is, is there have been 99 baptisms uh, in their five years. Here's a picture of one of my favorite. I just chose this one. I thought it was really interesting. That's my friend Jenny. Um, Jenny and I coincidentally are almost the same age and we grew up in very similar neighborhoods and we were constantly had circles around us. My wife actually worked with Jenny. I never even knew who she was. She was just a coworker. Like I didn't meet her until she started coming to LifePoint and she believed in God, but man, she just fell in love with Christ while she was here. And she heard the word of Christ and, and she heard, you know, everyone who follows Christ gets baptized. That's what he commanded us to go and make disciples and baptize in them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. She heard that and she goes, I need to get baptized. God spoke to her in her spirit. She goes, I need to go public with my faith. And I was there. I got to help her take that step. And I got to watch Jenny continue to grow in her faith in this season of her life, now helping lead other women to Christ. I mean, it is amazing to watch her serve. She represents one person of the 99. And do you know what? Of those 99, it's like almost evenly split between adults, those over 18, and those under 18. That means God is permeating our entire families in our community. That's incredible that people are taking steps with God all over the place. And I'm just pointing at that because I think it was an interesting one to me. But what has God done in you even in this time? So how do we have hope? Right? I, I realize the gospel changes everything. I realize that God wants me to be an example. He's given me people to be an example. But how do I have hope? Like, what do I do? Well, sometimes you need a symbol. You need, you need a moment to, to kind of focus your life, to help you move forward in life. And here's the thing about God. He took the very worst symbol that was meant for torture and turned it into the most amazing, incredible moment of hope for people. People now wear it on cross, you know, their, their, their necklaces and they get, you know, tattoos of the cross. There was a picture that was snapped. Don't show it yet. I mean, give me a second on this one. There was a picture that was snapped from our very first service after the service um, at LifePoint. So we launched there in the school and uh, we did the first service. I was just like, God brought people. I mean, it was amazing. God's doing his thing, and he's faithful. And, and afterward, um, I was just talking to someone. I have no idea who I was talking to, but someone snapped the picture and sent me the picture. Here's why the picture means something to me. 
there's a huge curtain in the back there of this picture, and there are lights behind it. And here's what it looked like. Now, I know it was lights. I get that. Like, it wasn't a supernatural occurrence. But it was our first service. And I remember getting the picture thinking, you know what? That's exactly, I want the light of the cross to be our symbol of this church. And let me tell you something. If you came in here today like me, and you're a believer, you look in the mirror every day and say, Jesus, help me to follow you today. Like, if that's you, you need a symbol because life can be difficult. People can be difficult. Things and situations in our bodies, everything can be difficult at times. And you need a symbol ahead of you to say, I'm going to keep my eyes focused on the cross. We need that reminder. So if you came in today and like, you're running with Christ, you sometimes get tired. You need to say, keep my eyes focused on the cross and keep running towards him. And if you're here and you're like, you know what? I've been getting sidetracked. I've been doing this and this. And I've been getting into these things. And sometimes I'm getting into sin stuff. Like you need to refocus on the cross. That's where your hope is found. What he did on the cross, this torture symbol has now turned into the symbol of hope. He gives us life in Christ. And if you came in today and you've never, never come to the cross and submitted your life to Christ and received his grace and mercy if you've never done that, that's your step today to come towards the cross. Say, all right, Jesus, I need you to forgive me of my sin. That's your step today, and he will give you forgiveness. Wherever you're at, let's keep the symbol of the cross in our hearts. So let's do something. Let's stand and pray, and we're going we're gonna to sing a song uh, that is an ancient song, a hymn that uh, is beautiful. But before we do that, let's take a second and connect to God. So I'm going to ask you just to think, is, has God put something on your heart while I've been talking? Is there something in your life that you feel like God has said, you know what, that's, that's a thing. Here's what I want you to do. When we start praying, I want you to say, God, I hear your voice. I hear you. If it's something that you need to give up or maybe there's a sin thing, it's time to say, God, all right, God, forgive me. If it's a thing he wants you to focus on, if it's a person, if it's, if it's a situation of forgiveness or love, like agree with God. That's what you do in prayer. You agree with God. If you, if you need prayer, when we start singing, just step back to our next steps area, back in my back left in the corner of the room. Just step out and, and get some prayer. If you want to start a conversation about baptism, we're going to have a baptism on the 22nd of January. If you have not taken that step and you feel like God's put that on your heart, then you can, you can start that conversation back there at next steps. You can talk to me in the lobby afterward. That's fine. But maybe talk to God about it right now in prayer. And if you came in today and you said, I've, I don't know if I'm right with God. I don't know that I've asked him for forgiveness and, and really submitted my life. Then I want to help you do that right now. So let's do that. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Start talking to God. Whatever he was asking you about, just start talking to him. If you came in and you say, you know what? I don't know that I've ever really come to Christ and received his grace and mercy. Let me share with you how you can have peace with God right now. You simply say to him in prayer, in your heart, say, God the Father in heaven, I'm asking you, will you hear my prayer? And just cry out to him from your heart and say, I believe in you. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I believe he rose from the grave. Tell him that. The Bible says anyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's what you do. Say to Jesus right now, Jesus, I'm asking you to hear my prayer right now. And I would like you to come into my life. Will you please forgive my sins? I am sorry. I'm asking you now, will you please forgive me? 
Help me to follow you. Will you accept this little step of faith that I'm giving you right now? Just tell him that. You need to know that that little step of faith is all he requires. He's already paid the penalty for your sin. He's simply asking for your faith, even a small step. You need to know that by inviting him into your life, it means that you follow him. That means you do your best to, as you understand what he's asking you to do, just, just try to be obedient. I wanna help you take a first step of obedience today, right now, and just in this moment. Won't take but a second, but here's what I want you to do. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. If that's true of you, if you just prayed that prayer today and you wanna acknowledge that between you and me and God, I'm just gonna ask that you do that by raising your hand up. If that's you, just raise your hand up high enough I can see it. If you just pray, I see you there in the back. I see you there in the back. Anyone else? I see you there in the back also. You may put your hand down. Anyone else? You know, when you take that step of obedience, you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. That's what it means to have a life of faith and active waiting is as you hear God speak to you, as you hear him in your heart, you follow him. God, I wanna thank you for those in the room who are taking first steps with you and those in the first service who did the same. God, I pray you would meet them where they're at. Help them to understand what you're doing in them and help them to follow you. I pray you put good people in their life who know you, who can help them walk in faith. God, I pray for people in the room like me who, honestly, God, we need your symbol of the cross at the forefront of our mind and in our heart. Would you sear it into us that we would see nothing but you and, and that would help guide us in hope in the midst of circumstances. God, we need your hope in us. And God, we know that if you're in us, you are the, the hope of glory to, uh, to the world. You in us. God, make us examples for our neighbors and our, our children and our classmates and our coworkers, Lord. I pray, Lord, you would use us to burn bright your glory in our communities. It's in your name we pray.